Well, hello, my friends. Welcome to Hope for Your Heart. This is Pastor Calvin Corbett, and it's the Monday broadcast. Brand new week, brand new opportunities just before us. I'm so glad that you're joining me today. Maybe you're driving home from work. Stay safe on the highway. I know our interstate is under perpetual construction, but be patient with the other drivers and uh, get home safely today. But let me give you some good words today that I think will really encourage you, okay? Now, don't get insulted by the title of the message today. I've entitled this message today, Lessons from a Donkey. That's right. A lesson from a donkey. Uh, we can learn something from God's creation. Even we can learn something from donkeys. Well, by way of introduction, in 1936, you know, the Summer Olympics were held in Berlin, Germany. Before this Olympics took place, it actually was decided in 1931 that the Olympics would be in Germany. And the mindset was, Germany had been decimated because of World War I. They needed to rebuild and they needed to be encouraged. And, and they thought, well, this is a great time to help them. This will give them an opportunity to get an economic boost. Uh, this will give them an opportunity to connect with all the other countries of the world to come under one umbrella and celebrate the Olympics. Well, between 1931 and 1936, a lot changed. And if you know history, you know that Hitler began his reign. And at first, he didn't seem like he was that bad of a leader. But then with time, his true colors began to be revealed. Well, in 1936, at the Summer Olympics, uh, the closing ceremony, a huge crowd gathered. It was a very hot and humid day in August. There were hundreds of thousands of spectators. There was police officers soldiers that were gathered for this event that was so spectacular, so colossal. I mean, it almost seemed like this came out of a fairy tale rather than real life. There were six continents representing 49 countries. There were guests, there were athletes wearing the clothing of their own home and their flags represented. It's just waving throughout this huge coliseum. But the most obvious flag, the most conspicuous flag that day, by far, was the swastika. It was draped everywhere. And it was obvious that this was more than just an Olympics closing ceremony. This ceremony was going to be a host of propaganda. It was going to be presided over by Adolf Hitler. At 3.15 that afternoon, according to Daniel Brown's historian, Adolf Hitler left central Berlin, standing upright in his Mercedes limousine. His right arm lifted in the Nazi salute. Tens of thousands of Hitler youth, stormtroopers, and helmeted military guards lined his route all the way up into the Colosseum. Hundreds of thousands of ordinary German citizens had massed along the way leaning out from windows and waving flags and standing 10 or 12 people deep along the street, even using binoculars and periscopes to get a glimpse of Hitler. Now, as his limousine would pass, they extended their right arms in a Nazi salute, their faces upturned, ecstatic, screaming and pulsing waves as he rode by. Hail! 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 
as a saluted Adolf Hitler as he got into the stadium. The loudspeakers were blaring. He's coming. He's coming. He's coming. He's coming. Now, these are chilling words, aren't they? And I would agree, not just because we know what leadership under Hitler would do to the modern world, but also the messianic overtones that we hear in those shouts of hailing him. And he is entering into this stadium in a Mercedes, and the world is making a big deal about it. However, there was somebody that day that got under the skin of Adolf Hitler. It was a guy by the name of Jesse Owens. Jesse Owens was an American athlete. He is best remembered for his performance in the Summer Games of the 1936 Olympics in Berlin. He won a record four gold medals, one in the long jump, one in the 100 and the 200-meter dash, and in the 4-by-100-meter relay. He was the first American track and field athlete to win four gold medals at a single Olympic game. Amazing. And here we see Adolf Hitler, who went through great expense, great times of planning, trying to sabotage the Olympics. He's upstaged by Jesse Owens. When I think about Christ on Palm Sunday, 2,000 years ago, coming into the holy city of Jerusalem, he came in not standing on the back of a Mercedes limousine or or not on the stallion, the back of a horse. Or, you know, he came in on a donkey. And as he's coming into the holy city of Jerusalem, they're crying out, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. They're putting down palm branches. <laughs> One commentator says they even chopped down palm trees and put the whole tree down to honor the coming of the Messiah. There was one group of people who felt upstaged by the coming of the Messiah into the city of Jerusalem. You see, not everybody was happy that Jesus was coming into the holy city. The Pharisees began to plot. After all, this was Passover weekend. It was the beginning of a holy week for the nation of Israel. And these Pharisees always made a lot of money at Passover time because they would sell lambs at a greatly inflated price right there at the temple. And and they would sell other things at the temple, and they would be like the center of attention during the Passover celebration week. And here they discover that this rabbi, this obscure, no-name rabbi from Nazareth, comes in, unplanned, unannounced, and the crowd spontaneously begins to hail him as king. Well, they began to plot, the Pharisees did, of how they could eliminate this man named Jesus. You know, we do a contrast between Jesus coming into Jerusalem and and Adolf Hitler going into that Colosseum. One of my favorite quotes is by a man who passed on a few years ago, R.C. Sproul. In fact, he says, if you think about it, we are all really more like Adolf Hitler than Jesus Christ. As I think about that statement, maybe that's a little offensive to you, 
But if you think about it, an unredeemed person without the power of the Holy Spirit living within him can go down that same path as Adolf Hitler. Today and tomorrow in the broadcast, I want to pull out some lessons that we can learn from a donkey based on the story of Palm Sunday. You know, there's a false story floating around in the mid-80s about the dangers of donkeys. The reporter said, more people are killed by donkeys in one year than are killed on plane crashes each year. Well, I thought that was a true statement, and in the early 90s, I even used that in a Palm Sunday sermon. But then uh, we discovered that's a wonderful statement, but it's only got one major problem with it. It's not true. Well, let's look at a donkey. When I think about a donkey, I think of an animal that is stubborn, but is a great work animal. You know that phrase, stubborn as a mule. (laughs) Usually when we think about animals with good memories, we think not about a donkey. We think about elephants and dolphins, and maybe dogs come to mind. However, donkeys have been shown to remember other donkeys and events that happened as long as 25 years ago. Unbelievable. And I hope that statement is true because I hate to say that I preached a sermon talking about the longevity of a donkey's memory only to find out it is false. So I don't know if it's 100% true or not, but there are some things that we do know are true about donkeys. One of the things we know is true is that their unique vocalizations are called braying. And their braying can be heard over a mile away. But did you know that donkeys are very social creatures too? And they're very protective. Uh, Sheep farmers sometimes use donkeys as guard animals. Now, donkeys may look docile, but they can actually be quite fierce. And they feel their flock is threatened, then they will do extreme measures to protect their flock. Their loud braying and their powerful kicks are enough to deter even the most aggressive predators. But donkeys are also very territorial. You know, they make sure to chase away anything that comes too close. Donkeys, they're known for their stubbornness, and they will often refuse to do what they don't want to do. But their stubbornness is a good trait because once they start to do something, once they determine to do something, no matter what, you can't convince them not to do it. So this is especially true when it comes to facing danger. You know, horses are wonderful animals too, but horses tend to get spooked real easily. They get startled easily. As we look at a donkey, a donkey doesn't get startled easily. If a loud noise takes place, a donkey will just assess the situation. And then once they figure out what happened, they will be stubborn in doing what they were doing prior to that loud noise. You know, donkeys are also very sure-footed and hard-working animals. They have a natural ability to maintain their balance, even in rough and extremely uneven territory. That's why they use mules or donkeys to go down into the terrain as you go into various parts of our country. As you go and you visit an area, a mountainous area, you're better off on a donkey than a horse. There's something about how God created them. They have this unbelievable ability to maintain their balance. That's why, even in Greece and Spain, they have donkeys working in vineyards. And these donkeys 
will not trample the grapes, but will work around them. They can easily go in between narrow paths without crushing all the grapes. Well, let me pick up the story of where we are today, the story of Palm Sunday, found in all four gospel accounts. It's amazing when you think about this story because a lot of ink is spilled in the last week of the life of Christ. Uh, So let's pick up the story. I'm going to read the story from Luke chapter 19, and uh, I'm going to be reading verses 28 to 44. Luke 19, beginning at verse 28. After telling this story, Jesus went on toward Jerusalem. Now, that's the story of the 10 talents, and uh, it's the story of talents being passed out, and those talents are supposed to be reproduced, but they're not. And so Jesus finishes up that story, and he goes toward Jerusalem, walking ahead of his disciples. As he came near to the towns of Bethphage and, and Bethany on the Mount of Olives, he sent two disciples ahead. And this is what he said to them. Go into the village over there, he told them, and as you enter it, you're going to see a young donkey tied there where no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. And now Jesus anticipated something was going to happen. They're going to ask, hey, what are you doing? Why, why are you taking my colt? And Jesus says, if anyone asks, why are you untying that colt? Just say, the Lord needs it. So they went, they found the colt, just as Jesus had said. And sure enough, as they were untying it, the owners asked, why are you untying that colt? And the disciples simply replied, the Lord needs it. So they brought the colt to Jesus, and they threw garments over it for him to ride on it. As he rode along, the crowds spread out their garments on the road ahead of him. When he reached a place where the road started to go down to the Mount of Olives, all of his followers began to shout, began to sing, and they walked along, praising God for all the wonderful miracles they had seen. Verse 38 says, Blessing on the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Ah, but some of the Pharisees among the crowd said, Teacher, rebuke your followers for saying things like that. And then he replied, If they keep quiet, the stones along the road would burst into cheers. And so here we discover something about this special day as Jesus is going down into that holy city of Jerusalem. Here's the first lesson that we can learn from the donkey. Number one is an attitude of being accessible. Now, these attitudes that we're going to learn today and tomorrow are three primary attitudes. Let me give you quickly all three of them, and then we'll go develop it further, okay? It's as simple as A, B, and C. And as a matter of fact, these are things that you want to instill into your children. Uh, Letter A would be attitude. An attitude of being accessible. Letter B will be behavior that is available. And then letter C would be character uh, that is accommodating. So those are the three things that we're going to look at. Let me quickly give you an overview. Attitude of being accessible. Now, as my children were young, they they were coming along, I tried to instill in them that attitude is everything. And attitude is more important than your aptitude. And attitude is more important than than your your ability to, to get things done. 
your attitude of gratitude is so important, right? Attitude's everything. Attitude of being accessible. So when my children would cop the wrong attitude, there would be consequences for that. Because I don't want my children just to simply do what's right. I want them to have the attitude of obedience. Here we discover there's an attitude of being accessible. You see, if you had the right attitude, it will lead to the behavior that is available. You see, you can do things with the wrong attitude, but when you have the right attitude and you do the right behavior, it becomes habit-forming. So deeply developing character would be the last point that happens. So when my attitude is right and I'm accessible, and it leads to behavior uh, that is available, it leads to, number three, character that is accommodating. I am changed by my character. And so the attitude of being accessible. As Jesus was drawing near to Jerusalem, we are going to look at all four gospel accounts. Mark gives us an extra added point, even though Mark gives the shortest account of the Palm Sunday story. He says, the Lord needs it, referring to the donkey. If anybody asks why you are taking it, why you're untying it, says the Lord needs it and he will send it back shortly. So this donkey is accessible. He has the attitude, okay, you need me. Now, we don't read of that donkey braying as he is being untied. That colt doesn't do that. He willingly goes with the disciples. And we're not sure which two disciples Jesus said. I'm guessing it was Peter and John. And as they untie this colt, they remind the owner Oh, the Lord needs it. The owner said, oh, fine, you can have it. But don't worry, we're going to bring it back shortly. This donkey was accessible. He was willing to be used. You know, the rabbis of Jesus' day had all different theories regarding how the Messiah would come into Jerusalem. Some based it upon Daniel chapter 7, verse number 13, and uh, they thought the Messiah would come as a majestic conqueror. I mean, Daniel mentions this, but he's referring to the second coming of Jesus, not the first. As a matter of fact, John the Revelator, one of Jesus' disciples, later in the book of Revelation, refers to this second coming of Jesus. You see, a lot of rabbis in the day of Jesus, a lot of Pharisees in the day of Jesus, they wrongly thought that Jesus was coming back as a man of war to overthrow the Roman Empire, to rule and reign. But the first time Jesus came, he didn't come as a majestic conqueror. He came to seek and to save those who were lost. He came to offer himself as a sacrifice. So he comes in a donkey, an animal of peace, not an animal of war, but he comes humbly. And this donkey is humbly carrying the Messiah. Now, John, the Revelator, Revelation chapter 19, talks about the future coming of Christ, the second coming of Christ. Revelation 19, 11 says, Now I saw heaven open to behold a white horse, and he who sat on him was called faithful and true. And in righteousness, he judges and he makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. 
He had a name written that no one knew except himself. He was clothed with a robe dipped in the blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies of heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on white horses. Now out of his mouth goes a a sharp sword, and that with it should strike the nations. And he himself will rule with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress with fierceness and with the wrath of Almighty God. And he has his robe on, and he has his thigh, a name written, King of Kings, Lord of Lords. You see, when Jesus comes again, the second coming of Christ, and let me set the context of when this is going to happen. He's already come the first time. The first time he came, he was crucified, buried, and rose again. He ascended up to heaven. He told the disciples when he goes up, the Holy Spirit will come down. We entered into the church age that began in Acts chapter 2. We will continue in the church age until the rapture of the church takes place, where the dead in Christ shall rise, and we who will remain in life shall be caught up to meet Jesus in the air, and we'll be with him forevermore. That's called the rapture of the church. The rapture of the church will trigger in seven years of tribulation. The first three and a half years will be times of organization, times of deception. The second three and a half years uh, will be where an intense persecution will take place of all those who are following Christ, those who are, are saved during that time of tribulation. But we also see the wrath of God started to pour out through bold judgments and through seal judgments and uh, all these judgments falling upon humanity. Humanity continues to rebel against God until we get to the second coming. That is where Christ returns. Now, if you live in the Hampton Roads area and you've ever been to the Greenbrier Family Skating Center on the back wall, there's a picture of what happens in the book of Revelation chapter 19, where Jesus is coming. You see a great white horse and you see a sword coming out of that horse's mouth. This is the battle that's going to take place at the end of the tribulation. We're going to be able to be with Christ if you're a believer, and it's not going to be a fight in which we are involved in hand-to-hand combat. That mouth of the sword is going to come out, and it's going to strike down the nations. And Jesus will rule with a rod of iron. And on his thigh is the phrase, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. It's going to be the battle that begins to usher in the millennial reign, the 1,000-year reign, where we will be ruling and reigning with Christ. Well, you got to join me tomorrow because uh, I am just about out of time. So we've learned one thing so far. We've learned that we should have an attitude of accessibility, being available. In Zechariah 9.9, it says, Rejoice, O people of Zion. Shout in triumph, O people of Jerusalem. Look, your king is coming. He is righteous and victorious, yet he is humble, riding on a donkey, riding on the donkey's colt. You see, there's something about Jesus when he came the first time. Jesus rode in on a donkey, one that had never been ridden, one that had never been broken, and he sits on that donkey. An untrained animal was subject to Jesus. The donkey didn't resist. He wasn't compelled to go. He just willingly went. Mark's account shows us that Palm Sunday ended in a very anticlimactic way. It says that Jesus entered in Jerusalem 
went to the temple. After looking around carefully at everything, he left because it was late in the afternoon. Then he returned to Bethany with the 12 disciples. You see, that donkey was right where he was supposed to be. He wasn't missing in action. He wasn't hiding, wasn't offering excuses. He was ready and available. I've discovered that God loves to work with those who are available. Oftentimes, he will bypass those with the most ability, and he'll use those who are most available, most accessible to him. Can he use you today? Are you willing to be used in any manner whatsoever to bless others, to share the gospel with others? I want to pray that God gives you the resolve to be able to have an attitude of being accessible. So, Lord, thank you for meeting with us today. Thank you for your word. As we continue this study tomorrow, fill us with your spirit. Fill us with a heart of understanding so that we can share the blessed news of the gospel wherever we go. May we be like this donkey, having that attitude that you can use me, Lord. Wherever you need me, you can use me. Whenever you need me, you can use me. However you want to use me, you can use me. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. If you'd like to hear this broadcast again, you can have a free download at buzzsprout.com backslash 1890557, or you can listen on Amazon, Spotify, Google Podcast, and Apple Podcast. Hickory Ridge Community Church is located at 3320 Battlefield Boulevard South in Chesapeake, Virginia. Sunday service times are 9 a.m. and 1030 a.m. We'd love for you to join us. For more information, go to hrcc7.org. And remember, no matter what you're going through, in Jesus Christ, there is always hope for your heart.